Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we expand our pop culture horizons by exploring movies, music, television, and books, and today, video games, that are new to us. I'm Sam. I'm Tessa. And joining us today to talk about The Last of Us is the patron saint of podcasting as a visual medium, Colby. Howdy. We did it. We're so excited to have you back on. It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. I know. I was about to say Carolina's Club, but I guess I think Meg has been since I've been on, so (laughs) I don't think I can claim that. But yeah, it's nice to be here. Well, I have here preliminary talk about stuff and catching up with Colby. I mean, I want to catch up with something. Yes. Sam. What a magical year in Knoxville. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, so Tessa and I, we were driving back from Charlotte one Saturday, the third Saturday in the 10th month of the year, which means something to many people. And we had stopped to get gas, and I checked my phone, and I have a message from Colby that says, are you dead? And... I knew something was happening. I knew something was happening. And it probably wasn't the same thing that happens every year on the third Saturday in October for the past couple of decades. So I was like, I don't know. Yes, I'm dead, but only because I'm on the road home. So I got home and I started the thing from the top. Didn't check Twitter, didn't check social media. And I died. I I ended the game <laughs> on the floor. just. At like one in the morning. That's uh, at the one in the morning we on the floor, a sobbing mess. And when the worst field goal of all time was kicked, my soul departed from my body in, in the antithesis of what LeBron James did last night, which I'm <laughs> sure you've seen. Oh, absolutely. I'm watching it live. Although I did take a picture and bring my camera to Tessa. So that was like the second part of that event last night. <laughs> so for for those of you who don't know the the Tennessee the fighting volunteers up in up in the hills of Appalachia uh finally <laughs> took down the Crimson Tide of Alabama after years and years and it's college football is weird it's all sorts of lovely and it gets reactions like that out of people because of I mean, this is a separate podcast. I'm not going to talk about this right here. But I really, really wanted to talk to him about how this season went. For So from my, my perspective of that day, I was watching that game. And it was early in the game when I texted Sam. Um, yeah. And it was, I was on my way to a UNC Duke football game at Duke. So I was walking through Duke's campus. And they had this tailgate, alumni tailgate set up with a big screen. When I got out of my car before I got to, um, like, on our campus, Tennessee winning. When I got to campus, Alabama was winning by, like, two scores. So I was like, okay, it's going to be the same thing that uh, happened. Order has year. been restored. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can stop paying attention. I get down into the stadium, and I hear someone behind me saying, uh, Tennessee took the lead. And I was like, what? So I pick out my phone, I start watching it, and it just so happens that the person behind me was like from Tennessee. 
We were just sitting there watching the game, and it was very fun. It was very fun to watch that in a neutral setting at a different football game before that one started. <laughs> yeah. It's fun when you can, like, find people who are excited about, like, the niche thing that you're watching in a place where nobody else cares. Like, nobody else. You're just like, you're two strangers, I, but you're bonded over this one moment in time. Like, there was a small cheer in uh, <laughs> when Alabama missed a field goal. That's <laughs> The stadium name for Wallace Wade, by Yeah. Now, see, there's a couple of things before we move on. First of all, and and I, I really like that we're talking about this on an episode where ostensibly we're going to talk about a video game and its adaptation, because it's a different kind of game, right? And so the thing about my team is I don't think outside of places like Athens, Georgia, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or Gainesville, Florida, there isn't a lot of schadenfreude ever directed at my college team. Anymore. Like, we are not the team that people love to hate. You know, oh, and Nashville, for people who like Vanderbilt for some reason. Baseball. Uh, and Memphis, if we're talking basketball. The point is, there is such a nationwide hatred of the University of Alabama's football team and its coach that I felt buoyed by a nation, <laughs> a nation shared emotions of schadenfreude. And it was great. And, and not only that, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, I told Tessa, so I was in college. I started in 97, which was Peyton Manning's last year. We were, we were on campus at the same time. And so the fact of the matter is, is that this team beat not just Alabama, but LSU and Florida and Clemson, turns out. This very much reminds me of the last time we were that good as a team when I was in college, when I did most of the time end up on the floor at the end of a game because we don't, you don't hear the term cardiac kids bandied about much anymore, but that's us. That's us. We find ways Unlike the last 10, 15, 20 years when we have snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, we are <laughs> the OG experts of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat just to prove that we can. Like, we could have won, but we'd rather spot them two scores and then come back and beat them because that's the kind of style we have with our orange and white overalls. I just remember... Speaking of schadenfreude against Alabama, I just remember the last time that and only time I've seen Alabama play in person was when they were beat by the University of Arkansas while we were there. And a very, very drunk frat bro behind us just started yelling, fuck you, Nick Saban, at the top of his lungs for like a good five minutes. And it's just that's all I think about now. Every time I see Alabama play, I'm just like the drunk frat bro yelling, fuck you, Nick Saban. It just <laughs> means more. It does. it does. We are going to transition to talking about video games. And we've already talked about my uh, my love of a particular kind of game that I share with you, Colby. So I, I really do think, because, again, podcasting is a visual medium, so this is going to be that segment. But also, I don't think you two could share the mic on a podcast without talking about Tessa's game of games. I am talking about giant thing that happens when something else happens are you Mass talking effect? about yes <laughs> yeah 
No, yeah, speaking I love of, Mass Effect. Large ramifications. Speaking of uh, podcasting as a visual medium, I had to wear this because you were coming on, Colby. <gasps> My new Tally shirt. My one shirt. <laughs> love Tally. Oh, boy. Tally is Sam. Yeah, Sam calls her peaches. She She's just the lovely. sweetest member of the of the of the of the uh whatever the ship's called cuz I don't play the game of <laughs> Normandy. The Normandy. I am currently on my fourth playthrough of Mass Effect and that's counting the one that I'm also playing through with Elise. So I'm doing another playthrough on top of my playthrough. You hear that world simultaneously third and fourth replays at the same time well this is what happens when you have a really bad depressive episode one week and you can feel it happening and you're like maybe i could hyper fixate my way out of it if i just played my favorite video game so i uh that's that's basically why this is happening but no i mean i think it's interesting because we very rarely talk about video games on this show anymore mainly because video games are just so time intensive and especially you know ones with long stories like The Last of Us, but being able to talk about gameplay and like why we like certain games, I'm always struck by the fact that Sam and I have two very different play styles. And we're going to definitely talk about that when we get to The Last of Us. But one of the things that I really love about playing video games is the story, which is why I love Mass Effect so much. Colby, when you play video games, what's sort of the thing that attracts you the most to the games that you play? Yeah, story is a big driver of it. For me, it was hard for me for a very long time to get into games with open worlds because there was so much to do. It was overwhelming. Like, I will never play Breath of the Wild. I can't. There's so much to do. But the very first game that I ever beat was Ratchet Clank which is just put you on the rails like you're just going through these worlds that they ship you off and that's kind of what i stuck with like i played a lot of a lot of ratchet and clank i've played a lot of uncharted speaking of another naughty dog game but one game that i never really got around to playing myself was the last of us because (laughs) i don't do horror games i can't it's too i can't escape this is the problem. I can watch horror and I can hide behind something. There's nothing you can hide behind when you're actually playing the game. So I've never actually played The Last of Us. But really, story is super important to me when I play games. I need that investment in order to finish it. That's why I've played things like Mass Effect. Uh, Persona 5 was a favorite of mine. Haiti is incredible. And I will recommend Haiti to everyone all the time, forever. It's so good. Sam, have you played Haiti? Hades. I I have I played Hades on three different systems now. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so good. I love Hades so much. It is. It's great. I I love though. I the, the thing about Hades that I think is really great and I will, we were actually talking about this with Megan on uh, the Discord because she asked for a game like Hades and my my immediate reply was Gameplay or story? Because okay. Hades is the convergence of two things that can be very disparate in video games that completely different people can like. I don't, I don't care nearly as much about story as I know you both do. But there, but but growing up on eight bit, 
Actually, I grew up on Atari 2600 and then 8-bit. Repetition. The the dopamine when you push the right button in the the right buttons in the right sequence and the good thing finally happens. It's like hitting the feeder bar for a pellet. You know, it is behavioral conditioning. And Hades, I cannot, there is not a better game that is both of those things happening at the same time. And of course, Megan said story. And my response was uh, play, I want to say super massive, but that's actually Muse. Uh, super giant is the the developer who made Hades. I was like, just go backward until Hades 2 comes out. The, I was about to say until Hades comes out. I think the game right. before Hades, I forget what it's called, but that's next on my list, my ever-growing uh, backlog of games. Yeah. I do make lists <laughs> for games, by the way. That's something that I do have to make lists for. Uh-huh. Team to. list once again wins the day. Yeah, it, it is interesting though because I also feel the same way about open worlds. It just kind of depends because if it has a really good story, I love a good open world. Like if I'm like, this is a good story, this is a good system, I will play this all day. I mean, I probably put like 120 hours into The Witcher 3. Like it's just one of those games that I could play and play and play. But something like Elden Ring, which is just like punishingly hard and it's just so much all the time. I'm like, this is too overwhelming. I don't want to spend like, if I play a game for five hours, I don't want to have to spend 2.5 hours messing with my inventory. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to like be able to play the game. So I I hate inventory. I was literally complaining to people yesterday about how I (laughs) I have. Not only do I hate it, I'm horrible at it. In uh, Genshin Impact right now, my character's level 40, and I was using a level 12 weapon. Like, I was like, why is this so That is terrible. (laughs) I I hate messing with You might be really bad at this. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. And, like, I... I actually really appreciate that there are games now that are coming out and I'm not like the most knowledgeable about video games. So someone could come and be like, there've been games like this forever. But like, I really appreciate games like The Last of Us, but then also Control is another one where the inventory is very slimmed down. Like, it's like you still have to make these choices when it comes to like what kind of leveling up you do and that kind of thing. But it's very like, you make your choice and then it's done. You don't have to like go through 500 different things and decide what to sell and what to equip and you know, so, all of that stuff. So Tessa in the game, legend of Zelda, have you have played. a sword and then you have an additional slot where you can have a boomerang or a candle or another boomerang. <laughs> and that's all in the game. Super Mario world. When you collect your power-up, you can collect an additional second power-up, and you press the select button if you would like to toggle between those two power-ups, and that's it. I know that older games are like this. I'm saying, like, for a while, it felt like all of these games were all, like, you know, The Witcher 3 or Assassin's Creed, where it was, like, all of this inventory management, and now it feels like there's some more games coming out. I'm going to put this shard into this sword and I'm going to put this rune into these boots, but I'm going to put the shard of this rune yes. <laughs> in my hat, which I can now upgrade to a level seven mage cap, which when combined with a sword that, oh shit, I put the wrong shard in the wrong sword. I hate this. I will say though I'm that- I'm going to go watch TV now. I did go back to playing 
Dragon Age. I did start Dragon Age Origins, which I need to get back to. Um, and it is it is actually it is not as good as Mass Effect, obviously, but I, I am getting the same kind of enjoyment that I do out of Mass Effect. So I tried, I'll put that out there. I tried Inquisition Dragon Age. And mm-hmm. it was a little too overwhelming for me to get through. Gotcha. But that was that was totally a meeting. I want to talk to y'all about gameplay and game difficulty. When y'all play, and this this might be a, a good as I just take control of the show. Um <laughs> as we go into talking about The Last of Us, what difficulty do y'all default to? So this is controversial, controversial because <laughs> <laughs> I like to play the first time because I like story. The first time I play most games, I like to either play it on normal or whatever the one above normal is if there's a lot of different variation between difficulty. I don't like playing stuff on super difficulty unless it's a game I've played like tons of times before. Like I because I just want to enjoy the story. I want to enjoy the experience. I don't enjoy it if I feel like it's impossible to achieve. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, absolutely. on the other hand. Well, back in my day, we had one difficulty and we liked it. As an example, last Monday, I was feeling very anxious and very sad. And I needed something to kind of try to break me out of that. So I picked up the Nintendo Switch and I started playing the original Castlevania game, which, for the record, I do not recommend when you are trying to deal with present trauma, going back and revisiting past trauma. (laughs) It doesn't really work the way that you think it will, or maybe that's just me. But one of the really nice things about the Nintendo Switch is when you're playing the old 8, 16, and even 64-bit games, uh, is the save state, which is the the lifesaver and ultimate cheat of the emulator. Right. So Castlevania is a game that I have played more times than I would care to count. I've wasted so many hours on that game and I got to the final boss once. So last week when I was playing it, I was able to use my save state and within two hours get to the final boss and defeat him. Which was like, you know, pretty God level when it comes to gaming. What I didn't know is that when you beat Dracula the first time, you have to beat him a second time, and he's infinitely harder. (laughs) And then I was even more sad than when I started playing. (laughs) So, kids these days, they don't know about games and difficulty. They're just way too easy now. I mean, normal mode is like a game-length tutorial. So, I never, I default to hard mode every single time. And then she complains about it. It's my favorite. Well, I mean, she's like, "Why is this so hard?" I'm like, "Because you put it on hard mode." Well, do y'all remember the controversy a couple years ago when yes. the uh, Crash remakes, the uh, Crash Bandicoot remakes came out? Came out. This is about like the more accessible difficulty. Yeah, slightly. Um, it might not have been the the Crash remake, which, by the way, so hard. <laughs> the Crash remake yeah. is oh, okay. way harder <laughs> than than the original Crash. But I think it was actually Crash Four where the default for Crash 4 isn't like the old Crash Crash Bandicoot games, where if you die-died, you had to go back to the beginning of the the level, where there are uh, checkpoints 
uh, within each level that you come mm -hmm. back to when you die an infinite amount of time in Crash 4. There is a classic mode that you can toggle on, uh, mm -hmm. but that was a big controversy. There's some really great resources for that on uh, online. I know that one of the people I follow, Grant Stoner, has just started writing a column for IGN about accessible games, um, where he rates them for accessibility, which I think is great. But it is interesting that it's controversial, like that somehow people think that having a easier or more accessible mode like ruins their ability to play the game on a harder difficulty. It's very odd. There, there's a YouTuber I enjoy. The channel's called Game Maker's Toolkit. And every year they release a, um, a compilation of the most accessible and least accessible games that came out that you ever want that out. It's really... Um, it's really broadened my definition of accessibility. I think it, I don't know. It's really cool. And as time goes on, seeing more and more options come up like button mapping, where you can, you can map what buttons certain things don't have the same um, control of their digits that everybody else has. Another thing like that, um, which I think is much less controversial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So one way to start talking about gameplay style in conjunction with difficulty is and, and of course we're talking about this at just the right time so i think for me the the apex of my video game play style was defined by goldeneye 64 which i got to revisit for the first time in a couple of decades earlier this week i was reminded of a couple of things first of all goldeneye predates two-stick movement. On the old Nintendo 64 controller, you had one stick in the middle, and then you had four yellow buttons up in the upper right-hand corner of the thing, and the left one and the right one strafe. And I believe the top and the bottom look up and down. Because the Nintendo Switch is using an emulator for uh, this game, the button mapping was broken on the game. And so somebody finally had to come up with a hack of choosing a button configuration within the game and then completely remapping the Switch controllers outside on the general uh, UE for the Switch. And basically now you have two-stick control of GoldenEye or of, of Bond and GoldenEye. The thing about GoldenEye 2 is the the aim is bad. It's like shoot super juddery on purpose. So you learn to hip shoot. I realized that I have mastered Goldeneye on the hardest difficulty, gotten all the challenges, including getting through the second level in like two minutes flat on the hardest difficulty, by memorization, by memorizing how people move, learning how AI works and the different patterns it can take, and getting perfect at hip shots. To me, that was, as I said, the apex of gameplay. Nothing will beat that. And as Far and as farther and farther as games got away from that, the less interested I was until Assassin's Creed was like, hey, parkour and video games is fun. And yes, it is. <laughs> but going back and playing Goldeneye for the first time this week, I'm like, oh, yeah. Now I know why I can't stand stealth, why I have to <laughs> rush in and shoot everything. It is muscle memory. And there are games where it does not work as well. Yeah, and this might be one of them. Last of Us is definitely one of them because I, I have started to. I, I'm definitely more of a stealth 
player. Um, when I played um, Cyberpunk 2077, which has a lot of different ways that you can complete objectives, I was definitely the person like sneaking around hacking stuff um, and, you know, it, sneaking up on people and all of that kind of thing. And The Last of Us, at least what we've played so far, because we haven't completely made it through the game, is very interested in making you sneak around. Um, there are definitely levels that you cannot beat without sneaking around. And because experience and leveling up isn't connected with killing things like it is generally in other games, it definitely trips Sam up to just leave zombies alive. <laughs> I, see, I don't care about the leveling up, though. It's, it's again, it's dopamine. Yeah. Like, Colby, have you thrown a brick at the back of somebody's head and watched them fall down? <laughs> that is the best part of the life. You can pick up a brick and just... <laughs> The joy of finding out, I was like, because you're supposed to throw them to distract people. That's like a mechanic in the game. And I said to Tessa, I said, I wonder if I can hit the guy with a brick. You can. You can. And it was the best thing that's happened in the year 2023 to me so far. (laughs) It just felt so good. What's your (laughs) gameplay style, Colby? Generally. It it depends on the game. Like for Spider-Man, PS4 Spider-Man, you're Mm. stealth. You're never going to see. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to be a blur of red and blue because I'm also gonna be wearing a scarlet spider suit. And it's just going to be you're you're never gonna find me. Everyone's Most gonna get t- tied up to pillars by the end. Exactly. <laughs> Webbed up. Yeah. For for something like Uncharted, and I imagine for something like The Last of Us, which again I will never play because I'm afraid. I like it's going to be I'm going to run in and probably start shooting. I'll try to stealth. It will probably be a lot like um, episode two in the in state house when uh, where Joel yeah. tries to stealth and then it doesn't work. So we're just going to shoot. Yeah, <laughs> that's Sam. I'll try. See, the thing is, is that Sam and I, um, because when we played The Last of Us, we did a thing because obviously The Last of Us is a single player, which is usually my preference for games. But when we play together on single players, we trade the control back and forth. Um, So a lot of times we'll just like somebody will play a scene or a sequence or a kill zone and then we'll we'll trade the um, control over. And it's really funny to see the differences in the style of our our gameplay just by like watching each other play like that. But we've also played Borderlands together. Like that's the one game that we've both been able to agree on that we both really, really like um, playing together that and overcooked which i just find funny because those are two completely different vibes but it it is funny because like on borderlands even i'll be playing like a sniper and i'll get my into my perfect shot and i'll get it all lined up and then through my scope i'll see sam like tank running like through my scope into like whatever it is that i'm about to try to shoot not playing a tank by the way yeah never (laughs) playing a tank but still acting like a tank so it's uh i do play tank on overwatch by the way when I when I used to play that, so yeah, so it's it's been really fun. But on the other hand, on this playthrough of Mass Effect, I have been playing a Vanguard class, which I've never played before, and that is more of a tank. Like you have a shotgun and you have a biotic charge. So I have been like experimenting with different play styles as well. So yeah, you're right. It probably depends on the game. But Last of Us is interesting from a gameplay perspective. I'm assuming you've seen videos of the game if you haven't played it because you watch them on YouTube, right? Yeah, I watched a couple Let's Plays. For those of you who don't know, Let's Plays are when you watch somebody else play the video game times with their commentary um, alongside with it. So I've watched um, a couple uh, 
Chris Smoove, who I watched. So The Last of Us is a very, very, and this is part one, because there are two uh, parts to The Last of Us. Um, two and a half. It's a, two and a half, yeah. It is an interesting zombie game, and I have played zombie games before. I played Left 4 Dead. Uh, usually with a friend, we would play uh, swarm mode, and we would just see how long we could <laughs> survive. Which um, is not long. Which is not long. And I've played zombies before, like hot zombies. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've played some zombie games, but this is like the first like very straightforward game like this that I've ever played. And so it's interesting, but it is like an action-adventure, survival, horror, post-apocalyptic game where you basically are playing Joel who has survived a fungal zombie apocalypse which I would definitely like to talk about um his daughter died very early on in the apocalypse and in the game he is tasked with escorting Ellie who is this 14 year old girl um to a safe zone basically and you have to fight zombies and people and uh you know other things along the way so it's kind of it's kind of action adventure because you're having to navigate like obstacle courses and solve puzzles and stuff but you're also, it's also a third person fight game. I think this is interesting. Sam, what did you think about the premise of this game? I enjoy the premise knowing that Ellie is the the package, right? Because she is the survival of the human race, you know, because she's naturally immune. This is a trope that is pretty familiar not necessarily in gameplay, but in other types of fiction. I do have to say I'm looking forward to getting further in the game and seeing Ellie weapon up, maybe starting to use her force powers, um, (laughs) finding out more about her mysterious heritage and whatever connection she has to Yoda. Um, It's really hard not to see this as the same story. But it really is interesting looking at how a couple of classic stories get mapped onto a video game, which Naughty Dog is, of course, known for, uh, is known for Uncharted, which is very, that that kind of like you're playing a movie, basically, or you're playing a television show, which isn't, I think, my favorite, but I've definitely liked Last of Us more than what i played of Uncharted so far. I will also point out that the port of a game to movie or TV show has worked much better for Last of Us so far than it did for for poor Miss uh, Mr. Zendaya. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The number of things that are combining in very unique and well-suited ways to create a story that's resonated with many, many people. And But it's just a combination of different things that a lot of people like, which is why it has that appeal. I will also say, though, in response to the thing about gameplay. Listen, when you're playing on hard mode and you have bullets, bullet management's important. Yeah. It's not just about leveling up. It's can I kill all of these people with as little ammunition as possible so I net gain ammunition. I spent way too long on a firefight yesterday, but I succeeded in my aim, which to me is like, Again, I will spend three hours doing this, whereas Tessa, she doesn't want to. Uh, I also believe in health management. I won't use a a health pack if I'm very low on health because there might be a health power-up I can get for free just down the road. 
Which is just so Whereas, weird to me because I'm like, if you don't survive this, yeah. then you won't get to the health power up down but the road. The, 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 the counterpoint of this is that Tessa gets to the boss fight in Bill's town and Tessa just empties her inventory completely. Every single bullet, you gotta. arrow, I don't know where she got the... The, the small animals that she started chucking at this, <laughs> but like everything in her inventory just gets thrown at this monster and at the very end there's nothing left and I'm like alrighty then well I found more like there's always like a, I, the way the game mechanics work is there's always a place where you can get more after a boss I fight, just don't so. want to get to the point where I have to pick up Ellie and use her as a <laughs> melee weapon that really defeats although she is kind of a melee weapon because she is she's her little great. knife at right and she's right at kidney height too so you know but that's that's interesting because the game changes genres at different levels at the mm. lower levels is an action adventure game at the higher levels of difficulty, it's a survival. And those are two very yes. different types of Absolutely. Yeah, we as we play through, you know, there are a lot of drawers you can search. They are almost always empty at the difficulty level we're playing at. And one time Tessa was looking around and frustrated that she couldn't find anything in the drawers. I said, at the lower levels, those drawers are probably full <laughs> of nice things. <laughs> Yeah, we settled on playing hardcore, which is not the hardest difficulty, but it is not like the normal. Because there are like five levels of difficulty yeah. in mm -hmm. this game. And so there are still two levels higher than the one we selected. So I would posit that hard mode on Last of Us is actually normal. Is difficulty. actually normal mode. Yeah. What is your opinion of this premise, Colby, from what you've seen? I, I like y'all said, it's a... And I think I've heard a lot of people say this. It's trope, but oh, yeah, I I like the tropes. Like it, I don't think tropey is inherently a bad thing. I think that they, it's all about execution, right? Yeah. And even when you know what's happening, and I think a lot of it comes from the voice acting is kind of incredible <laughs> in this yeah. game. I it makes buy in and I love that even though I feel that a main or character that you have been with for a while might be about to eat it I still care because of how well everything set up up to that point right we're talking about Tess right <laughs> yeah we're t well, we're talking yeah. about Tess <laughs> Just, yeah, just test. Nobody else nobody will die else in this dies. game. Nope. Nobody else dies. Uh, yeah. Nobody else dies. No, I I just think it's horrible that every single time I play a game and somebody's named Tess or Tessa, they always die, yeah. like <laughs> sooner or later, and it sucks. But well, yeah. But but listen, I I just gotta say to quickly hop over to the TV show. Tess is played by Anna Torp, who is the lead character in Fringe which is possibly the best J.J. Abrams show. And it's not really a contest, but I, I it just, the bold, it's such a bold move to cast former model, hot, hot actor as like apocalypse ravaged mean girl. <laughs> such a bold, I loved it. I was so sad when she died because I'm like, I'll see you, Anna Torv, in Fringe reruns. Goodbye. I, I know Anna Tor from uh, Mindhunter. Yeah, uh, she. I I've mean, never seen that. She, oh, it's so good. It's yeah. very venture. But... Well, but so I think 
to go back to the idea about how this game is a combination of tropes, but it's good because of the execution, which is absolutely true, by the way. The opposite of that, and we saw this a lot in the late 2000s, but mostly through the 2010s, was every creator felt like they they we we finally recognize that there's nothing new. And what we did again mostly through the beginning and mid 2010s was to quirk it up. Take a well-established idea, invert it and make it quirky, which is like the worst the worst period. And this is the proof of that. You take something and you you have to know what's going to happen. You have to know because you've seen this bit of this story before. You've seen this bit of this story. And when you add it up, you know what's going to happen. But it's done well. I That's so much better than having my expectations inverted because that will almost always fail. Yeah, I also think it's a bit... It's cyclical, right? And I think it kind of just infiltrates all of culture and it leaves you wanting for something sincere like yeah at at some point i just i don't need the the bad guy to be sympathetic like i just i just want to someone bad defeated by someone good and good triumphs in the end you know like I want the, someone bad to throw a brick at. Let's, yeah. Like, let's, yeah. Let's get back. <laughs> let's get back to Moriarty being a mustache twirling evil dude who does evil, not because of something tragic that happened to him, because he's an evil dude who does evil and he has a mustache that he twirls. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, especially in this game, is like commitment to character. Right. Like you said, like, even though, you know, like really early on playing this game, I'm like, oh, is this when Tessa's going to die or is this when Tessa's going to like I knew she was going to die. Like and I didn't know anything really about this game. Like, I, I could tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like I could tell like how the story was kind of unfolding. And like you said, I could recognize these tropes, which we haven't even talked about, the like the central trope of of the, the game and the show yet. But like at the same time, I loved her as a character. Like you get invested in her and you get invested in Ellie and you get invested in Joel. And what I loved about this game and the show to a certain extent, and I want to talk about how the show does start to fill in some of these gaps a little bit, is the restraint in storytelling. How they just let the characters tell their own stories and tell you, the player viewer, who they are without having to show us everything. Like we do get the f- extended flashback with uh, Joel, you know, during the first outbreak when Joel loses his daughter, but like we never get a backstory to him and Tess. You just know what their backstory is because you can read between the lines and you can hear the things that are are said and the things that are not said between them. And, you know, the same thing with Ellie and Joel. Like you can tell that Joel doesn't want to Um, love her, doesn't want to take care of her, doesn't want to grow attached because of this trauma and this pain that he has, you know, in his life. But he never says that. He never, ever says, at least so far in the game, to anybody like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid to get close to her because my daughter died. No, but you can tell. And you can tell like that erosion of those feelings, you know, like it's such a great part of the game when he finally says, you know, a third of the way through the game, you know, you're doing a very good job. Like dad said he was proud of her, you know, like it's like those types of things that tell you the story. It's not necessarily about like 
what's going to happen or what's been inverted or what's going to be played straight. You know, it's more about like who these people are and how these events tell us things about them. As we talk about genre and tropes, have y'all read uh, The Road? Yes. Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. (laughs) Seminal grim dark fiction. Yes. Yes. I, I haven't read it, but I have read several dozen AP Lit essays on it. <laughs> so I probably know 80% of the story and the other 20% is not right. Yeah, you, <laughs> Don't know which one's which. You know the premise of The Road. I read it for my contemporary lit class in college. I'm also reading, right now I'm reading The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison. Yes. They're both kind of escort men. <laughs> both both books are kind of escort mid grim dark worlds and i think the yeah. road is um much more guilty of this but i think that with this type of apocalypse fiction it's very easy to give in to the woe is all of us everything sucks everything's going to be terrible and there is something so lovely about ellie just not being that like even in the and I love this from the show on episode two, the when they go into I think it's a hotel and Ellie's just like messing with the stuff on the desk. It's like, yeah, Ellie's not she's going she's still a child, she's still a kid, she's still learning about the world, and she's excited to learn about all these things, it has that little wonder that just breaks up that breaks up that tension of everything terrible and everything horrible and there's one moment late 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 in the game that people that played the game and are familiar with the game know what i'm talking about that just makes everybody sob with how wholesome it avoids grim dark which is absolutely what i don't need right now in my life yeah absolutely and it's so interesting because it's so well balanced because i thought that too because the the other thing that you have to compare this to is of course the walking dead which is you Mm -hmm. know a franchise of zombies that's kind of reigned over television for a while um although it's finally coming to an end but like that show and i assume the comics although i haven't read as many of them is very dark as well like in the way that like everything sucks Everyone dies eventually, you know, like that kind of thing. Whereas this, it's so like accepting of the world that it's in and it doesn't try to sugarcoat the world that it's in. But at the same time, it kind of is like, but you still have to figure out how to be alive and you have to figure out how to be a human And humans don't generally, you know, like they find their status quo in the middle of this. And Ellie's status quo is very like she like hums to herself like she's like, oh, like I've never walked through the woods before. You know, like she's she's got all of these like like you said, like this this childlike wonder. But she's also very like sassy and funny and like, you know, uh, she's always like taking the piss out of Joel. Like, you know, it's just like all of this stuff that I think works really well for the character. And it's repressed wonder because she's 14. Mm-hmm. This is the first time yeah. she's ever going to see this yeah. as a teenager. Right. So two things. Maybe it'll just be two by the time I'm done. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I want to go back. You you brought up N.K. Jemison, And in, in the context of something... I'm actually going to be talking about this at a conference later this year about something that uh, Nettie Okorafor wrote. 
And it's it's a phenomenon I've noticed personally, me, have noticed reading both of these authors, but specifically N.K. Jemison. Reading her was difficult for me at first, even though I kind I understood the tropes. I knew the story that was being told, but she was telling it. And and I, I can pretty easily say that because I know a core four does it too. Part of it is the experience of reading this kind of fantasy novel written by a black woman who is coming at these stories from a way that I'm unfamiliar with. And so it, it like, I have to slow down. I'm, I'm a fast reader. I have to read much more slowly and deliberately when I'm reading Jemison. And, and I, you know, I really enjoy it, but you know, that's, that's the other thing too is, it goes back to the idea of being able to tell a story well. A lot of times we kind of get stuck in in the rut of the same kind of person getting to tell the same story. And and that's that's part of the experience too of of a story to un, of a story told well is is getting a story from different perspectives. The other thing about perspective is the 20 year time gap. Yes. And and here's the thing. I will tell you, this is something I think I understand pretty well. Because, so you take the first episode of the HBO show, right? Joel is from Texas. Joel is very much Texas forever up to <laughs> 2003. To the point that Brad Leland, Buddy Carity from Friday Night Lights, is his goddamn next door neighbor. <laughs> they oh are telling goodness. you, That's Joel... Garrity. Yes. <laughs> Joel is incredible. Texas forever. <laughs> Bill is Bill is from Deadwood. I mean, the video game characters from Deadwood. I think he's going to be Nick Offerman in the show, I think. But anyway, um I couldn't tell cuz he wasn't trying to sell a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, he's trying to sell those biscuits. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Colby. Come on. Uh those biscuits but, are dry. Uh, oh they, my god well, well, and were. she made cookies with raisins Good in them Lord. raisins gross anyway the point is joel had a life and uh, you know one of the big differences the, the reason i stopped watching the walking dead and i know what most people did is i don't need misery porn which is what i would call how you were describing earlier colby yeah the the reason that the last of us is not that is we do understand that he has trauma from losing his daughter and he's having to revisit it by protecting Ellie. That is not like sledgehammered into my face every second, like what happens on The Walking Dead, right? But the other thing about this that's really cool is playing this from, like, I can, a lot of people who played The Last of Us, I'll just say it this way, can't remember what they were doing 20 years ago because they were children or babies, or not alive yet. <laughs> and but, but I'll tell you, it's a whole other thing to think about, oh my God, that thing in my life happened in my adult life 20 years ago. That's how long I've been going. And to really think about Joel's existence as a character, Joel had a wife, or at least a mother of his child. He had a whole relationship with a child who was old enough to have a personality of her own and you know a a she had enough agency to steal money from him to get his watch repaired that is an entire life 
the life that we see in the game and the show 20 years later is a different life. Mm-hmm. Can I make a real bet- world example of this? Right. Well, but well, the last thing is between those two lives, there was also a 20 years worth of life there. And that's just, it's so fascinating to see it from that perspective. And I'm sorry for everyone who's robbed of that because you haven't lived long enough yet. Stay young. <laughs> Everybody growing up sucks. Please go on. Y'all remember a couple weeks ago when they had to like ground every fight in America? Yes. Yes. People just a little bit older than me, but for those who don't know, I'm 26. Am I 26? I'm 26. Um, <laughs> too young to forget how old you are that doesn't I, happen until after 30 and people just a little bit older than me were like freaking out my presumption was just like uh someone probably like spilled coffee on some console i guess it's probably <laughs> uh, <laughs> whereas a lo- it's a y2k lo- no! well, a lot of people are like well the last time every flight in america was grounded was when planes were flying into building i don't remember that i i I don't remember that day i remember some of the aftermath i have no recollection of september 11th 2001 it was it did not register for me as something to remember right because you were so young i was i was in kindergarten like for me it was like oh it's like the 12th day of school i guess sometimes we go home early is what i is what i'm i'm guessing i remember because i don't yeah it's i don't remember that pre 9-11 world at all yeah i think that the fact that there is this gap is so interesting too the fact that so this reminded me a lot of uh hbo's the Watchmen adaptation as well, where the Watchmen is this alternate, it's taking place in modern day, which I guess was like 2018, I think is when that show came out. But like, it is the culmination of an alternate history, right? Like the world of 2018 in the show is very different than the world of 2018 that we live in or that we lived in. And that's kind of the same for The Last of Us because this is taking place in 2023. But the idea is is that the zombie apocalypse happened in 2003, which in the show is great because you can tell Joel lives in 2003 because he's using a Nokia phone with a case on it. With a Desert (laughs) desert Storm sticker on the back of it. Yeah, with a Desert Storm sticker. And so it is interesting to think about like... like what would have life been different, you know, if the things that happened since 2003 hadn't happened. And so, yeah, it is, it's, it's a very interesting perspective. And Ellie has, doesn't have any of the caution that Mm -hmm. the older characters have because she didn't see it happen. She didn't see what was before and how everything changed. She has no way to know. Absolutely. You were very close on Watchmen, by the way. It was 2019. Oh, 2019. Um, well, I, I just think about the thing. I think it's from the first episode where the bratty child is whining about red for rations. Red for oh, in, uh, in cla- Watchmen. Which, yeah. which I mean, the, the moment is horrible if you're watching it because it's like, okay, kid, you, you think life is so bad because of this thing that happened. But the kid has no frame of reference for what it would have been like if it hadn't happened, which is the life that we, that we reside in. Yeah. Another thing, the real life, the other, I mean, that's a real life version. Another real life version of something that we're seeing now is children who are 
And I was I was confronted with this Friday, as a matter of fact. Children who are going to grow up and never know what it was like to grow up when there wasn't a pandemic happening. And or or children who do remember, but then the majority of their childhood or the rest of their childhood is this. And, you know, I came face to face with somebody describing their, you know, a a a child's trauma that is very clearly pandemic based. You know, and and just realizing we're gonna start seeing that. And that that does remind me of Ellie, somebody who has experienced the world in a very certain way. And like you said, Colby, I'm glad that there are those moments where it was like she 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 digs on Joel in the first episode for like using Wake Me Up Before You Go Go as a as a code. <laughs> because that's you know, she just she's just punking him. But you know, for him it's like that used to just be a fun song. You know, and it's just like it's trauma on trauma, but for her it's like I'm gonna rag on him. Or in the game where she like hands him the tape, the cassette tape, yeah. and it's like, Oh, here's from like your time and he's like, That's actually a little before my time, but Well that's good. Let's listen yeah. to it. <laughs> Which I think is great. I also will say that this game is way more ACAB than I thought it was going to be (laughs) going into it. There is no redeeming quality to the military or the military state in this game from the very first scene where it's a military person who kills his daughter because she may or may yeah, not but, be infected. Okay. I was thinking about that and I want to, yeah. I want you both. I, I, I if, if you, if you want uh, both of you, I kind of want to know what you think about this because, okay. Joel is white in the video game. Yes. It is a whole one. It is one thing to see a military cop kill, shoot at a white man and kill his white daughter. than it is, to see a white cop shoot at Pedro Pascal and kill his, his girl. black daughter. That yeah. that yeah. is something that is like it. That is one of the. That might be the only problem, and I, because to me it sent it it it's a completely different message from video game to to show. And I'm saying it's a problem because it is read differently, or I guess it can be. I mean, the point is like, I, I don't know. I'm still thinking about that and trying to figure out what I could, what I what I think about that change, but it's, it is a different message. Yeah, well, it's also telling us that, Anyways. I mean, I want to talk about that moment, but like also just even going back to Pedro Pascal playing this character in the show, which it seems like a good transition of starting to talk about the show more is that he is very, he's playing this very Texan, right? He has the Joel Texan accent. He, you know, has like that, that Texas sort of vibe to him. But we also live in a time now where a lot of the population of Texas is Latinx, right? And so it makes sense that like somebody like him would be from this place and that you would have like characters like this in in the apocalypse. But yeah, the, that moment in the show has a lot more meaning, I think, attached to it than it does in the game um, because uh, it's so weird because like he gets orders uh in the in the game, there's this really interesting moment where the the person who has the gun on them 
is talking to his superior officer on the radio and you hear him say, but one of them's a little girl and you know what's going to happen as soon as he says that. And then he like shoots them anyway. That's not in the, the show. I noticed that that because I specifically remember that line from the game, but it's not in the show. Yeah, it's it's very much a I mean, they definitely want you to think about the just following order mm-hmm. aspect of it like that's a hundred like they're doing exactly what they're told to do so like no didn't do quote unquote didn't think wrong because they told to do that it's right. it's hard because i really think oh i i don't want to call her tandy way daughter remember the name right now um i thought she did a great job as sarah i thought she was super engaging as sarah and i'm really glad that she got that opportunity to be sarah it's unfortunate that part of being sarah means that you get killed by the military yeah um right so it's it's a catch-22 right because i don't want like i go out of my way to not watch when uh the state kills um black people i try to avoid that as much as possible um for my own mental health and it's it's rough. it was very very rough to watch, mm-hmm. and then have more episode behind that was yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, I, and we're. I was just gonna say we're talking about this in a in a week where you you could see the real version of this because it's making the rounds online. You know, brand new, just following orders. Yeah. So it it's rough. It it's rough for the to talk about it very much in the micro of this show mm-hmm. it's hard i understand like i love this casting i think it's fantastic casting yeah. no way to get ar- i don't think there's a way to get around that moment um mm-hmm. which is unfortunate but something i've been thinking about a lot past i'm glad you brought it up colby the the just following orders thing we are very much meant to think about that within the context of this game and show and we are very much you know the 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 game is a few years old the show's coming out right now but we are really living in a just following orders moment where i'm having conversations about you know a workplace saying are you guys ready because you're going to be given orders and i and people are not willing to interact with that I, I think that, and and by people, I mean people who aren't going to be on the wrong side of having of what happens when people follow orders. And you you talk about what just happened this week. You talk about the fact that the word Latinx has been banned by the governor of Arkansas. Uh, you can talk that about there's the a fact, record number of trans. Yeah. you can talk about the bills. fact that the first uh, anti health care for trans people was passed in Utah yesterday of 2023 yesterday uh, and is right now the only one in action because it hasn't had time to be blocked by the court yet, you know, and, and on top of that, again, you add what, what happened in Memphis and what's probably going, what happened in uh, California, you know, and God knows how many things is going to happen between now and when we release this episode, that's just what happened this week. But, but that's the thing, right? Like you, that that whole thing about the military person, I think that's a very, it's a very important moment because we all know what that guy should have done has been like, go on, you were never here. That was the right thing to do. We all know that. 
but it's not what he does. And what you are supposed to think when you play this game or watch this show is like, damn, that guy's evil. I wouldn't have done that. Well, no, you fucker, you would have. And we keep seeing it over and over and over again. And that to me, it's like, and that's why it really struck me about the casting of the show in that moment is it's like, that is, it's hard. Yeah, I I think too that that's supposed to, it's not just an isolated incident though, because the next thing we see in that 20 year jump is that everything's militarized now, right? right? Like they're living in a military dictatorship. The military can kill or drag away whoever they want, you know, just by saying like you're infected. And so like, it, it is like that event is like a microcosm of what, then happens right in the U.S. as the result of this like complete meltdown of society. Let me tell you, watching this and also watching Andor at the same time is very oh, interesting. Concurrent, yeah, <laughs> very interesting yeah, I bet. Watching. You know what the first thing I thought about when I realized that um, Pedro Pascal was doing the Texas accent? Uh, the first thing I thought about was Andor and thinking about you know, the accent that Diego Luna uses in that. And it's, it's just, and, but, but the fact that Pedro Pascal is also in the star Wars universe using a very neutral accent as Mando. It's just, I don't know. I I have nothing for that. It was just what I thought. And I'm like, what a cornucopia of things we have here. (laughs) If only we could like realize that this is the good thing and actually do it in real life and in all creative efforts. What a wonderful world it would be. But I'm sure we're about to have a fire hose of white people doing white things for the next two years. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. We had fun. It's over now. Maybe it's not. I don't know. There was no point to that. (laughs) I... I think the show is very interesting because it does attempt to fill in some of the things that we don't get to see in the game. Um, And it also has some things that it wants to say that the game, at least the stuff that I've played so far, doesn't really engage with as much because the game does introduce this contagion as fungal, right? The... Uh, this is not your grandfather's athlete's foot, kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is, you know, like there, there are spores that you have to avoid and put your, you know, your gas mask on for. The a lot of the zombies like eventually become like they've got like fungus growing out of them, and you know, eventually they might become actually just part of the fauna around the place. The show actually kind of gives us an explanation for this because there are, of course, fungi that do take over certain organisms that are parasitic in this way. And the first scene of the show is it's set in like the 50s, I think. And there's like a epidemiologist who's talking about how if the temperature of the world raised a couple of degrees that, uh, you know, some of these fungi might evolve to be able to survive in humans. And then we see, of course, the unfolding of the zombie apocalypse. It's interesting that this show wants to take on climate. Um, And it wants to talk about this particular zombie apocalypse as being part of a climate catastrophe. When we think about climate catastrophe, a lot of times people like to talk about, you know, sudden world ending events. But really, we don't want to talk about the fact that, you know, even just raising the temperature a couple of degrees will cause and already has started to cause the ecosystem to be disrupted, 
right? For animals and plants to stop acting the way that they have been or to start evolving in some very different ways and how catastrophic that can be. Um, what did we think about sort of the thematic elements of this, um, which aren't just in that first scene, they continue throughout both episodes. And I hope it continues to continue. I think one of the hidden themes in the game is remember like the around April 2020 when all you would see when scrolling through Reddit was terribly um terribly filtered pictures of like nature is healing like all of those pictures this I I think that quote unquote nature is healing is kind of an undercover theme in the last of us game as you're going through places and really what you're between you're seeing what just outside looks like it's different than than what we have right now and I, i'm very what more of this world looks like outside of just boston show yeah yeah and it's interesting too like i told sam when we were watching the second episode which is really when they're outside the quarantine zone and they're seeing like the city and it's like covered in like fauna and you know all of this stuff and i was telling sam it's interesting that this would happen after 20 years it wouldn't take that long you know for nature to come back right to to consume stuff again humans are always beating nature back it turns out it's not something that just goes away well i mean i don't know how many times we have to be told this as a trope in popular culture before it a actually happens or b we do something to actually keep it from happening in terms of like learning to live with the environment. I mean, this is Jurassic Park too. I mean, this is what Ian Malcolm was saying the whole time is that if you make, if you mess with nature enough, nature will mess with you back. But that's like the trope. Godzilla. Comes, uh, no, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's the trope that comes across in half, half of all science fiction. For every action, there is an equal and opposite. Action. Yeah. yeah. But like M. Night Shyamalan's done it. Uh, Tom Cruise has done it with with uh, with Spielberg. Oh my God! Uh, it, you know, like everybody gets to do their nature takes over at some point thing. I guess Spielberg's double dipped at this point. Yeah. The uh, but the other thing that I do like, and I do hope that continues in each episode, is the cold open flashback. Yes. Oh, I. In love the second that. episode, we saw the fungiologist, whatever that's whatever that actually Mycologist, is, I whatever. Think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she was a fun guyologist, okay? Girl got around. <laughs> you saw her at the hip lunch spot at the beginning. I really enjoy those. I love, in the first episode, that talk show. That's Big Head, I'm pretty sure, from Silicon Valley as the host. And uh, there's a British BBC character actor who I really like, whose name I can't remember. He's British Titus Welliver. Uh, <laughs> which, think about it, you'll get there. I love those, and I love how the the scientist in the second episode, when the, the military police say, what should we do? She says, bomb it. Bomb it all. I'm going to go home and be with my family now. And then we see later on in the episode, that's what they did. And in most cities, it worked pretty well at preventing the spread. But I really like that as a statement. What do you have to do to save us from this catastrophe? Bomb it. And it's like, oh my God, that's really drastic. Well, we could have also switched to electric cars and solar panels years ago. Not as drastic, 
but y'all keep talking about it like it is. Yeah. I really love those um, those pieces of juxtaposition. As much as the show is the video game, like they are doing moves, like they are actually copying physical actions from the video game. Oh my God, he's pushing furniture. That happens in the game. It oh actually man. looks like the game it too. It does. Like, but, I'm but that's so the, impressed. But that's the thing. They do a really good job of that. But what do they add to make it a story that needs to be told in this medium? And a big part of it is those 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 flashbacks that provide the context and really hammer home what's happening thematically later in the episode and the connection to real life. And I hope that continues. I really like it. It's neat. I have to say, though, that they do add these really great things, but they still keep that not over-reliance on exposition. We can use this board. <laughs> no, I mean, like, but the idea of, Here's like... a ladder. Like, I mean, test. I mean, a spoiler for the show, I guess I should say. I will put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this episode. But, like, Tess dies at the end of the second episode. And, again, just like in the in the game, there's no, like this is how they got together and this is their relationship. Like it's very much, you have to read between the lines of like we, what they're saying. We do learn that zombies pass on their spores by making out. Yeah. That was, that was a fun that was weird, image um, to guys. have in my brain, but like, yeah, it, it is, it, they're still like taking good th- storytelling techniques from the game, but then like adding some things that just make what we have richer in that way. I really like the fleshing out of the world. I think that if they keep doing it the way that they've been doing it, where, you know, they talk about something later, I think that's a really good way to... Because the first game is really just Joel and Ellie. Like, the Joel and Ellie show is really all we're able to see, and all that we world is what they're able to world. It definitely helps it feel bigger, it helps it feel like it's not just happening in the United States. This is the worldwide thing. It's not yes. just yeah. here, which is something with a lot of uh, Western apocalyptic fiction you don't get. <laughs> really, it's just like, oh, yeah, the world ended in the United States, <laughs> in the continental yeah. United States. <laughs> Wouldn't so it be I- hilarious if in The Walking Dead, like, the world ended in the United States and the rest of the countries were like, eh, they'll yes. figure it out. Like, like they, <laughs> everything, is, everyone else was fine. But this could, Build this a wall. Continues. Yeah. <laughs> this is a theme that continues from two weeks ago when we were talking with Lazie and, and we did our little bit about how it was the Danny Minogue thing, yeah. right? Like, if you stop somebody on the street here and you said, who's Danny Minogue? They'd be like, I don't know. But if you stop somebody on the street in England and say who Danny Minogue is, they'll be like, oh, Kylie Minogue's sister. Which right. is like, my point was, not only does nobody know, hardly anybody know who Kylie Minogue is here, like to, we're so very central in the way we think about pop culture that our pop culture becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where like The Walking Dead, it's like, I don't know, who the fuck cares what happened everywhere else? This is America. It, it, so yeah, I think that's great that, that we're trying to step outside of that a little bit here. The other thing, and we started to kind of hint at this earlier, and I like that you brought up it's the Joel and Ellie show. So here we get another trope, right? This is kind of the central trope of the thing. And I saw it called recently the lone wolf gets a cub trope, lone wolf and cub. 
I love it. Um, because yeah, better like than you frog and scorpion, Tessa. Like you, yes, I hate the frog and scorpion that needs to be banned. Um, what did you think was going to happen, dude? So. If they bring up the frog and the scorpion, week I've heard about the. Oh my god, they overuse it. Every single fucking show and film uses that fable, and it just needs to stop. Anyway, Pedro Pascal has played this character. We've just talked about this in the Mandalorian, right? He's done this thing, this trope before. Um, Somebody recently brought up that this happens in Logan, right? With uh, Logan and X twenty three, you see this in a lot of fiction, right? Where you get the the grumpy old lone wolf and they suddenly find themselves, you know, attached to a child. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they have to kind of figure it out from there. I mean, even Owl House in the first season, to a certain extent, has this trope um, a little bit in it with Ida um, and Luz. Wow, good job. Yeah. So I got to bring back Owl House, okay? Into everything that I talk about. Anyway. I how do we feel about- you yes, do. you do. You would love you it. You would. I know I you would. would. Like you knowing would. you and knowing what you love, Owl House is right there for you. What do we think about this trope and how it works in the game? But what do we think about it in general? It's an interesting way to examine masculine, I think. I think it's it's an interest because never see a, a lone woman with a, with a, because we, 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 live in society and <laughs> to see women in a parental caring role so it is i think a lot of writers find a lot to work with with someone who's not traditionally in that caring role uh being forced into that role i think it's interesting that almost every they have to be forced into that role it's yeah. never it's never like oh yeah i'll absolutely do that yeah bring bring the kid it's cool it's always that <laughs> you have to do this or the world will literally if you don't <laughs> i i have one i have one example of a lone woman now still a mother so it's still kind of what you just said colby but i have one from the shining Shining feminist exemplar, James Cameron. Oh, God. Sarah Connor. Yeah. I mean, it's her own child, but she's got that vibe. And what happens to her? She gets thrown in the loony bin for her trouble because she's dangerous. That's the thing, right? Like if if Arnold Schwarzenegger, who at various times, well, later in Terminator 2, becomes... Right, he gets reprogrammed to be the the lone wolf taking care of Cup. Right, that's badass. But when Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor was trying to do it, we have to institutionalize her. So I, I you know, I I'm sorry that James Cameron is like again the exemplar of feminism in this discussion. Somehow, actually, weirdly, that's disgusting, but it's true. I cannot think of a single other example. It really I is. I, I really appreciate the the fact that it is, uh, as you say, Colby, a comment on masculinity, even though we're going about to come up with more examples. No, no, no. I can think of two, but I do want to get back to the masculinity part because I think that's important. And we there do are, not talk about masculinity enough. There are Let's very, get back to it. There are significant differences, but <laughs> the first one I can think of is actually also from James Cameron, <laughs> and it's Aliens. <laughs> 
because she finds the girl. Takes care of that cat. And she takes, oh, well, the, the cat too, oh. I guess in Alien. But like, <laughs> no, she finds the girl whose family has been di- has died. But the thing is, is that for her, it's a surrogate daughter. And it's it's different because she's had a daughter I mean, it's very similar to Joel, but the idea is that there's a lot of birth metaphors and aliens. And so it becomes can, more about can, her as like a woman. And, you know, like it, it is very different. Can we, I just say, by the way, before we get away from James Cameron, that everything you need to know about turfy second wave feminism, are we the baddies dot gif is James Cameron is your hero. Yeah. James two turfs. James Cameron would be a feminist hero. Think you need to look at your life and look at your choices. Yep, it's true. All right, now, uh, Kate, that show that came out yes. with Mary Elizabeth, or that movie that movie, came out with yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead on Netflix, it's fine. It's not my favorite movie. It's fine, but it is about an assassin who reluctantly has to take care of a girl who is being targeted by kidnappers. So there is like that element to it. But again, she wants a kid. Like she's getting out of the assassination game so she can have a child. Mm -hmm. And so it then again becomes about reproduction, right? Um, It becomes again about her being a woman. So I do think that it's different when you are talking about uh, masculinity, even in a situation like Joel, where he's had a daughter before um, and he's sort of reliving that trauma um, because his daughter would have been 34, I think, if she had lived. And so it is interesting that like Ellie, like his daughter's stuck at 14 for him. Um, and so you get this sort of thing going on with Ellie. I love their dynamic, though. It's I love it. <laughs> like uh, somebody on Twitter, and I'm so sorry that I can't remember who you are, um, basically said, I think it's hilarious that Joel is like in the first two episodes of the show is just like throwing hands with a 14 year old. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> who hasn't wanted to square up with a 14 year old? Let's. And Ellie is kind of mean said to him. wanted to, not yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is what happens when you do it. They annihilate you. Oh, my God. You, and but, they're yeah. 14. You can't pick them up and throw them. I mean, Joel wants to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, he... Cat. He is so anti the idea of Ellie in these episodes. Like, he is just like, no, no, no. Well, I... This is actually a really good place because we've talked a little bit about Pedro Pascal. We've talked about Anna Torv. Bella Ramsey. Who is, is having a is, year. Is, throw, is the, one, <laughs> the one who is the recipient of the hands being thrown and then throwing them back. Yeah, she takes us, she gives as good as yeah. she gets from and, Joel. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because the night before we watched the first episode of The Last of Us, we watched uh, the Lena, Lena Dunham meh film. Catherine called Birdie, which also stars Bella Ramsey as a sarcastic girl who makes sarcasm sarcastically. Right. And then before that, she's most well known for playing Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones. Who was Um, like sarcasm in training. Right. But she's like, that was her breakout moment was that she was this like child character who was just so like stole every scene that she was in. So if you saw Game of Thrones and thought, like many of us, I'd like to see more Lady Mormont. Yeah. (laughs) The Last of Us is the show for you, friends. I think Bella Ramsey's great. And these are the only two original shows left on HBO Max at the time of this airing. (laughs) You can only watch. I was surprised when they took The Sopranos off three days ago. It was weird. It just came out of nowhere. It was weird. 
But for now, it's just Game of Thrones and Last of Us. Last so of Us. they're going to actually rename HBO Max. They were going to rename it Max, but now I think they're going to name it Bella. I think this is Confusingly not where the Twilight Saga can be seen. I think that this is great casting because she is very... Bella Ramsey is is very good at being a physical actor, both in the way that she is just sarcastic and she's funny, um, and she rolls her eyes a lot, right, at Joel in this. But she's also very, like, vulnerable and open at the same time. Like you said, Colby, like, she does this really great mix of someone who is trying to be really savvy about the world and who really you can't disillusion her. Like, there's not a lot you know, that you can throw at her that she's not going to kind of deal with. But besides at the same water. time, besides water, besides swimming. Uh, but she, at the same time, is very, like, in awe of everything around her. She's very vulnerable. She has her own feelings about the stuff that's going on. Um, and I think Bella Ramsey manages to convey all of that without a lot of dialogue, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, incredible best sandwich eating on television. <laughs> the best best mumbling into a sandwich on television. Right? <laughs> my sandwich at them. <laughs> I did I did love that where she was like, I can't swim. And he's like, um, you could just walk through it. She's like, Oh, well obviously I didn't think of that. <laughs> she's I mean, she's just great. Um with her like switchblade playing and uh I just it works. I know how in the video game, it's very much that video game. uh, I know how to pop a clutch. Where did you learn to? Never mind. I don't care. Yeah, I don't want to (laughs) know. And I think it's also interesting that in this universe that orphans get tossed into like a military academy, um, which is, again, much. It's a commentary on the way that that the military often preys on vulnerable people to for bodies here. Right. So it's. Well, not to go back to the James Cameron well, but that is a very, I'm, I'm sure I don't, I don't know if we can go full Verhoeven on this because I still haven't seen it or read the book, but in the, in the post-apocalyptic or whatever future, militarization of youth is extremely common. I mean, that's like dystopia 101. Um, that's the whole premise of, of, of Dark Angel. It's actually, you know, cloning and stuff like that. But the whole militarization of the youths who have better knees, which comes out in episode two, by the way. Yeah, Try doing that. that on our knees. Yeah. <laughs> that was Anator also very great. I yeah. love that scene where uh, Tess is clambering around, which is very video game, right? Like, I'm going to squeeze through this hole and then I'm going to find a way around to, to open Literally the door. Literally the naughty dog, like, I'll help you up. <laughs> like, yeah. Back <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, by the way, Colby, if you remember from seeing the playthrough, the video game mechanic where one person gets boosted up and then Joel gets up behind them. How does how do how do you, how does not every character who isn't Joel not have their arm ripped out of their shoulder socket at least one point? Like he jumps up and grabs them on the grabs the person's arm on the way down and it's like dude you just ripped her shoulder out of her socket good job humans are primates we're made to hang we have very strong shoulders (laughs) you you clearly take a running leap and clamber up grab the ledge and then without having to put any torque on the other person's shoulder can then pull them up from there what the hell, naughty dog? 
bad dog, mean, naughty dog. We are great ape. That's what we do. I oh also, though, love uh, that scene, though, where they're just, like, sitting in the hallway, and, and Joel is just trying so hard not to, like... I Like, I'm sitting there, like, going, you're going to fall in love with this child. Like, you're going to be... Like, you're going to give your life for her by the end of this thing. Uh, but, like, Ellie is just, like... We, we don't know that. But, we don't yeah, know that Yeah, we don't that know that, that but I, I feel mean, we like know, that's but what's going to happen. Anyway, he goes... <laughs> he says... Uh, She's he like says something like uh Detroit is in Michigan and she's like, I know where Detroit, know where Detroit is. is. I go to I, I go to school. But then she's like, How long do the the infected last? He's like, I thought you went to school. She's like, It's a shitty one, okay? Like that <laughs> whole up. that whole interaction I feel like is just like their relationship and it's perfect. So I don't think we can finish up. Without acknowledging the existence, because The Last of Us, the show, has already been renewed, we have to acknowledge the existence of The Last of Us 2. Now, not knowing how The Last of Us 1 ends yet, Colby, do you know what happens in Last of Us 2? I do. Okay, so here's some, here's some questions just to keep us going real fast, to, mm-hmm. to, to have Tessa and I keep thinking about this. Which one's better, one or two? One. Yeah. One's better. Yeah. Two, I I think gets I enjoy two more than most people, I think. Mm. It tries to tackle a lot in one game, which is why mm-hmm. I think they're going to split the second game into two seasons. I see. And it's not as nearly as focused as the first. Like I like I said, the first game, Joel and Ellie show the second game very much. So I I'm interested what happens there but yeah it's it's a little less focused it's still good but i prefer okay. it and and here's the other question a lot of people really talk about i know they talk about this with last of us and i i get the feeling that this is amped up in last of us too now we've talked about the misery of all of this and sacrifices get made and you have to make choices and you're a different person by the time you're done playing this video game because you really have to examine your humanity and the choices that you were making if you were put in this situation. What's your take on all that? In regards to the second game? Yeah, the second game, but also the first game as well. You feel it a lot more in the second game. Okay, you, so that's you, real. Yeah, you, you feel it so much more. If you, if you open your heart to the second game by the end of it you feel it you feel it hard so i i think in the first game and they kind of talked about it in this in the second episode of the show like how does it feel knowing that the infected humans are like they're right people i think i think that's important i think that fuel that in the first game and as 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 you go on you know you you meet people and you see what happens to those people um, but it's very much a game where you're trying to survive from the infected, mm-hmm. where I think the second is a lot more people-based. Ah, I gotcha. See. So kind of like Walking Dead in later seasons, too, where it That's became fair. more about other people than the zombies. All right. Final question. Are you excited about Mandalorian season three? Kind of. Kind of. Is it's the thrill not my, gone? It's not my favorite um star wars property you know i after watching andor i'm like just do this like seven more times 
Like this is the yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not finished with Andor. So I have two more episodes. Um, oh, you're so lucky. You live in a world um, where you haven't seen all of Andor yet. I know. I live wow. in a world I have such seen potential. All I avoided all of the discourse, and I'm just <laughs> watching it. That's good. The way I want to watch it. Um, it is great. So, so yeah, I'm probably going to watch um the third season of The Mandalorian, but like I I didn't watch Obi Wan. Oh. Like I know something happened. You no, know, I'm gonna have to explain the black lights to my dad. So I guess um I guess I'll I'll keep watching. Own wars, glory goes. But I just have to know what happens to Grogu. I'm just yeah. like that's my primary investment. Like he's my he's my comfort creature. Ellie Grogu <laughs> hybrid, basically. Like yeah, yeah I, ha- I have right. to know. All right, Colby. Let's let's not make it so long before you come back on the show again. Yeah, yeah. This Thanks is, for I, coming on. As see, I love to y'all so absolutely absolutely all right well next time ryan's gonna be back with us as tessa watches do the right thing for the very first time do the right thing or we have to talk about danny aiello in the meantime colby where can people find you online Uh, you don't have to (laughs) you don't have to find me (laughs) (laughs) fair you can't find a Colby. All um, right. Colby is not to be found. A wild Colby occasionally appears on the Discord, though. Like the so. 404 yeah. page not found error. Yeah. You know, okay. I'll, I'll pop up when I pop up, you know? Yeah. All right. I can dig it. Tessa, who is ever present, on the other hand. True. You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at The Bioparadox. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Og's Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading through all of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter and Instagram. Sorry. You can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Og's Book Club. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9 and on Letterboxd and Storygraph at melody valentine you can also find more from tessa and myself on moviejohn.com that's movie j-a-w-n.com i may or may not still be recapping mayfair witches because it is such a terrible terrible bad 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 show (laughs) Uh, my next time travel film column will be coming out soon i'm also going to be doing something on top gun fairly soon good times we'd like to know your thoughts on the last of us or what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog, where you'll also find the link to join our Discord community. It'll also be in the description for this episode. You can also email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please take a moment to rate or review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back and watch out for spores. (laughs) Perfect.